Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Hello, my friends, dear listeners, my subscribers, and my observers. I <laughs> this actually took a little bit longer than I was wanting to get it out. I wanted to get it out closer to the Friday, which we normally put out the Substack articles. However, it took me far longer than I had expected to actually revamp the graphics on the Substack. Uh, had to learn Illustrator, which took me. A fair few days. Um, so finish all the graphics, set this up, got approval by Spotify and Apple Podcasts, which means that you will find from now on all my Substack audios and podcast episodes such as this one on any preferred uh, podcast software or provider that you use. Just a nice little added bonus. Um, the other housekeeping thing is that I potentially may be moving to a fortnightly schedule where I will be doing one week, or rather alternating weeks rather than fortnightly, where one week there'll be a written article and the other week there may be like a podcast episode or something similar to this. Just sort of to mix that up a little bit, I've got a lot of positive feedback on my audio-based content and so I figured in order to cater for that audience who perhaps weren't able to enjoy or rather fully engage with the written content in a much more organic manner. Um, so, in saying that, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, in the name of Allah, the Lord of Mercy, the Giver of Mercy, I actually recently watched a video by Feed Murid on Instagram that perfectly summarizes the past few months as observers of genocide. I have, as many of us have been for a long time, watched what appears to be the same scene over and over again. As though I were my own bot limb being amputated, then restitched back onto my body to be amputated again endlessly. Yet, we find that there exist people whose hearts are neither moved by what their eyes see nor by what their hands perpetrate. We find that in a world intoxicated with the idea of justice, there's a lack thereof. Where is the justice that the colonial empires have killed millions of us in search of? Did they not find it already amidst the mass graves they have dug? Did they not find it in the knowledge they stole? Or maybe, just maybe, it perhaps was hiding in the languages they suppressed and silenced. Did they not promise that Yet, with another invasion, they might finally find justice, this secret concept which we apparently have no concept of or no understanding of, and that they promise they will deliver to us. Where is it? As a Muslim, I am reminded endlessly that being a Muslim comes with responsibilities, not just to myself, but to the world and broader community. It's not just about submission to our Creator or being the best me. It's about being the best possible exhibition and representative of the moral compass I am told to uphold. For it is in the excerpt from the second surah, Al-Baqarah, at the start of verse 143, that we are told what the moral compass is that we must hold. And I'm going to read you the translation. If you look at the podcast description, <laughs> hopefully the sync works out. You'll be able to see it in Arabic, but I'm going to read it in English for you. We have made you believers into a just community, so that you may bear witness to the truth before others, and so that the messenger may be a witness to it before you. Now, for me, the just community is not just a community that merely acknowledges its creator. It is a community that actively seeks justice at every opportunity. Now, what we feel presently, and what I personally feel so strongly, is that there is a community, whether it be within our own or elsewhere, that thinks that justice is merely about what the legal system perpetrates. And what I mean by that is that, whether or not the action you are doing is illegal or legal, according to the strict moral code defined for you by the state, who has a military and police to uphold it. And if you ever dare you know, disobey, 
then they will certainly remind you of who is in control and who is in command, and it is most certainly not you. For myself, however, this is not justice, not in the way that we've come to understand it, no. As Muslims, justice goes beyond simply sharia and law. Justice is also about morals and ethics. Now, why is this so? Why is this distinction important? For those who have not already seen or perhaps have not been told or perhaps have not seen it in such a way, it is perfectly legal in Palestine under the Palestinians' occupation by the state of Israel, the apartheid state of Israel, for there to exist an apartheid state. This is legal. And in fact, not only is it legal, but those who do not do apartheid well enough will never rise to the top of the Israeli Zionist system. In order to be at the top of this settler colonial state, you must be a settler colonialist. You must be a very, very passionate apartheidist. And so, in this way, it is perfectly legal. They cannot be punished. How can you punish an entire class which rules the apartheid settler colonial state for doing exactly what that state relies on to exist? For after all, without the Zionists, there can be no Israel. Without the settler colonialists, there can be no Israel. Without the imperialists, there can be no Israel. So you must always remember this. Anybody who tells you that they are an anti-Zionist, but yet supports the existence of Israel, or at least its continued existence on the back of the Palestinians who they oppress, pillage, and persecute, then they are not truly an anti-Zionist. Rather, they are a moderate. They are someone who is in favor of restructuring in a way in which preserves for them all of their privileges which they have here to enjoy, or potentially make it more palatable for them to enjoy these privileges without ever actually debasing them. And what I mean by debasing them is removing from them the privileges which can only exist so long as there exists a people who are oppressed, prosecuted, and colonized. Without these people, there can be no Israel. So without the moderates, there can be no Israel. Why? Because the moderates are those who balance it out in the favorable worldview that it currently still remains. And you'll find that in all the imperialist states, even in your most radical progressive parties, and I'm talking especially about the ones you'll find here in Australia, you'll not find a single one that advocates for the complete demolition or uh, abolition of Israel. Because they are believing in what? They are believing in a moderate solution. Why? Because they here exist on stolen settler colonial land. So a non-moderate answer here, that is a radical answer here for the Australian state, would necessitate, or necessitate, I can never say that word, would require that the Zionists are gone, that the settler colonialists are gone, that the Australian state is gone, that instead of being one monolith state, one monolith state on this continent, on this landmass, there is instead, there is instead over 270 First Nations. 270 First Nations. There are a host of confederations. They are dynamic and non-static, non-static areas of responsibility for land custodianship. These concepts cannot possibly coexist with settler colonial property ownership. How on earth do you own property on land that is not yours? How? You have to make it yours. Now, how do you make it yours if you've stolen it? Simple. You have to make sure that at every single opportunity you maintain the stolen land. So you build up a police, you build up an army, you build up the political legitimacy. And how do you get political legitimacy? Legitimacy <laughs> by the other states, your neighbors, 
who must then tolerate your existence in order for you to be able to coexist with them in a way in which does not constantly challenge your right to exist. So again, how do we get here? Or rather, how do we abolish this? To tell the truth, abolishing this world system, this worldview of settler colonialists cannot happen by the settler colonialists. They will not give us justice. We know this already. If you read any kind of theory, it will always come to the same conclusion. Of course, not ones written by the people who, like I said before, are only interested in reforming the system in a way in which maintains their privileges. But rather, when you read work written by the colonized people, by the subaltern, by those who have experienced oppression firsthand and through lived experiences and through ancestryship, you'll get the same conclusion. We must lead our own liberation. We can have our allies, we can have our solidarity ship, but it must be us. It must be us. Because what exists within the colonizer, which does not exist within the colonizer, is something known as radical imagination. They innately have the ability to imagine a world which is far better than the one they currently exist in. And they can only do so because of the fact that they exist as oppressed people whose previous status has been removed from them, has been revoked from them. They once were something and now they are not. They once had custodianship and now it has been taken from them. They once had the rights to be able to take care of this land as it needs to be taken care of, as it hasn't been taken care of. And now they no longer can. There was once over 200 and like I said, 270, over 270 First Nations. And now there's only one. A settler colonial state. There is no First Nation leadership anymore. Why? Because the two cannot coexist. And I'm certain that once you make this connection, you'll see how it works in Palestine. There cannot be a coexistence between a settler colonial state and a First Nations. There can be no coexistence between Israel and Palestine because so long as either of the two exists, it necessitates the other's destruction. If there is an Israel, Israel cannot complete its project until there is no Palestine. And if there is a Palestine, it cannot be a completed Palestine until it has all of Palestine from the river to the sea. So this is where we are. We are in a situation now where we are some 125 days, give or take, since the beginning of the recent escalation of the genocide. The genocide didn't begin on October 7th, it has merely escalated. And yet still we see that there are people, as I told you before, whose hearts are not moved, who feel no sense of urgency, who just wish that this new cycle would move on, that we would all just forget about it. Why? Because it's annoying them. <laughs> And what do I mean by annoying them? When you live in a bubble of privilege for so long, anything which reminds you of two things, one, your mortality, and two, of the privileges which you have, annoy you greatly. At least, if you are a set of colonialists, it pisses you right off. You just want to be in a bubble where no one tells you that what you're doing is right or wrong. People simply admire you, potentially get a few newspapers about you, and if you're really lucky, you might feature in a TV show. But nothing further. Nothing more, nothing less. Just peace. However, their peace cannot possibly coexist without peace. We cannot have peace so long as there are people whose peace relies on our oppression, whose peace relies on our destruction, whose peace relies on our murder. This is not peace. This is not peace. This is merely a murderous status quo. And that's actually what I've titled this episode about. The not the murderer, sorry, the exhaustion, the exhaustion of the status quo. 
we find ourselves now in a situation where, like I said, after nearly 130 days of inaction, of inaction, of no genuine action, of no genuine change, that there are many of us who are slowly becoming used to it. That there are many of us who, watching what is happening, think that I can only do so much and that is it. And there's nothing more I can do and I have done that. And therefore, anything which happens here too and afterwards to the Palestinian people, I can at least say that I've done enough. What I will say to you and what I will put to you is that you cannot possibly have done enough so long as there exists Israel. So long as there exists a settled colonial state, you haven't done enough. And why not? And why not? Let me tell you something about privilege. And we're going to come back to this multiple times, especially as we watch direct action happen across this continent and many others. The Palestinian people who are trapped in Gaza in an open-air concentration camp, in a camp which is increasingly tightened by an Israeli invasion, an illegal invasion and occupation of their land and the recent escalation of the genocide, are unable to protest in the same way as you are. Of course they protest, they militarize, they use whatever resistance methods they have available to them. However, their resistance methods does not shake the heart of the empire. If anything, it resolves it. It resolves it. It makes it stronger. It makes it stronger. And that is why, as soon as you see any form of military resistance against oppression, the Western world is so quick. Oh yeah, it's quick. It's so quick to mark it as either terrorism or a temporary problem. And why does it do so? Because it believes that this is, is it because it believes that this is in your best interest. Of course not. It knows that most people, if actually presented with a full case, will stand for the oppressed people, will stand for the Palestinian people. This is not his concern. Of course, it's not his concern. It's never been about what's best for you. It's been about what's best for maintaining and preserving this colony. However, you, my friends, the ones who are here, the ones who, you know, I'm going to be a bit blunt here, the ones who, if they so wished, could go right now and occupy weapons manufacturing facilities, as we saw happen recently in Melbourne and Nam, for those who were not aware, a factory which had been involved in producing uh, specific parts for the F-35 fighter jets, one of the only ones in the world, that's right, in the world, was occupied through direct action, there was action taken against it. This is a privilege you have here. This is a privilege you have living in the heart of the beasts. Because if you do not live in the heart of the beast, you do not have access to the production in which this beast relies on to continue its oppression. Because you are in the heart of the beast, you have access to what maintains its existence. Now, I'm not talking just about its political existence, but I'm talking about its material existence. I'm talking about its industrial existence. You have the capability to shut it down. You absolutely do. However, here is where the law comes in. And remember what I said to you before, at the very start, about my idea of justice versus the legal idea of justice. It is, of course, unjust and illegal if you were to take such actions in such a way in which to permanently prevent or otherwise stop or otherwise inhibit the production of weapons. You would be committing a crime. However, knowing that there is a genocide ongoing, can we truly say this is a crime? Is it a crime? Is it a crime to take action through whatever means possible to prevent the continuation of genocide? Now, obviously, I can't answer that question because even me answering that question 
may potentially count as a crime. <laughs> Go figure. So again, justice isn't what the law tells you it is. Justice is what your moral code tells you it is. It is what your ethics stand for. It is what you believe is the best possible action to be taking in order to permanently end the oppression of a people. That is justice. It is not stop gaps. It is not temporary solutions. None of these things can be justice. These things are merely band-aids to a 12 inch deep blade wound. And so, again, I remind you, you have the power, the power to take action in ways in which people in the rest of the world envy. There are those, especially those who are from Arab backgrounds, who are well and truly familiar with our governments, who I have many words to say, but I will save them for another time, in case you have not already heard them. There are several articles in which I've talked about them, but they'll get their own later, and hopefully they'll get their justice. There are those back home who watch the actions we take and are proud, genuinely are proud. They watch it and they go, you know what? There exist the people beyond just us who care about us. I'll give you an example. For example, my own family in Lebanon, in Mishmishabqar, in the north of Lebanon, um, very north, north, east, kind of. If you know where Halab is in, uh, not Halab, sorry, Homs. If you know where Homs is in Syria, that is where, or about an hour or so away from it, is where my village is. After I did the speech at the Palestine rally, and we took our actions, and we moved, and we educated, and we learned, the video had spread to back home, and they had actually watched it, and <laughs> for context, my village is a bit, I mean, it's, it's large, but it's small in comparison to what we think of villages here in tiny cities. Someone who could speak well enough English had actually translated my speech uh, to the best of their ability, so they they put uh, subtitles or whatever it was and they distributed it so that way the other people in my village people from my family could watch it and actually understand what i was saying and uh to tell you the truth it was over 10 minutes i think there was some near 100 people who watched that video and i can't count how many people contacted me or contacted my family to talk specifically about the video to talk about the the power of the video because what it represented that it represented that there was an opportunity for those who were here, those who were here, to take action that they there can only dream of. They there can only dream of because they support far more than we support. This is true. They have supported us since their birth. They have always supported a free Palestine. You'll be hard-pressed to find someone who doesn't immediately tell you free Palestine if you bring up the Palestinian flag. And yet, and yet, the capabilities for action are far more limited than what we have. However, and this is what my motivation for you is, you will never find in them the talk of self-defeat. You will never hear from them, we can't do anything more. We've done enough. That's enough. I've done all that I can. This is never a word you will hear from their mouth. It is always about learning, about educating, about teaching, about engaging, about doing whatever they can. And yet here... Here, when you are in the heart of the beast, when you are able to take these actions that those they can only dream of, and yet, and yet, you will say, I don't think I can do anything more. I've done enough. Now, 
I'm not saying you have to do everything in your power. I'm not saying you have to spend 24 seven, but I'm saying that you should spend a considerable amount of time in this. As much as you can handle, as much as you emotionally, physically, and mentally can handle, you should be engaged because you have privileges that they can only dream of. I promise you, if we swapped you, if we swapped you with just one person from back home, one person, you would be surprised by the amount of action they take had they been in your position. You would find them interrupting every single business deal. You would find them investigating every single private dealing. You would find them engaged with education and teaching. You would find them outside every picket fence, every picket line. You would find them delivering speeches, hearing speeches, talking, sharing, moving into the community, mobilizing the community, teaching in the community, taking local action and federal action if necessary. Some of them may even be so bold as to run for politics. However, I have my own thoughts about that, so I'll save for another time. They will do all this with the same 24 hours you have, with the same opportunities you have. So, you must always remember that there is always more to be done. It is merely about knowing what you can and can't do. What you can and can't do. And this is what the difference in justice is. Do not do an unjust act on a moral stand base. I'm not talking about the legal basis. That's for you to decide what you want to do. I'm not going to tell you whether you should, where you shouldn't. You need to decide for that kind of thing in terms of what kind of actions you want to take. But what I will tell you is that ethically and morally, ethically and morally, separate from the legal system, you must do all you can for justice. You must do all you can for justice. You must do all that you can so that in reflection, there is no way in which you can sincerely, sincerely regret having not done, that there is not a single thing that you think back to and go, I just wish I had done that. I just wish I had taken that action. Oh, if only I knew. Oh, my friends took that action, but I didn't want to do it. These are things you must always reflect on. So when we hear from my friends, especially who have been following this genocide for, for years, actually, for years, there is a not a bewilderment, but rather an acceptance that there are people who recently joined the movement for liberation, but have quickly tailed off as soon as they have come in. They have only just arrived, and yet they have left immediately after. They have only just arrived, and yet they left immediately after. Justice is not a trend, my friends. Justice has never been a trend. If you believe that justice is merely what is popular, then you will find yourself jumping between causes and between causes without ever actually taking effective action, without ever once seeing through to liberation, seeing through to justice. So, concern yourself not with what is popular, concern yourself with what is just. Because oftentimes what is just is unpopular. For a very long time, organizing on Palestine or anything related to the concept of Palestine, especially in these settled colonial continents and land masses and, you know, I hate to say countries, but, you know, countries, was unpopular, deeply unpopular. You'd lose your jobs, you'd lose your careers, you'd lose any potential you had at making a respectable earning. And yet, and yet you will find a history of activists who said, cool, but justice comes first. Cool, but justice comes first. 
And on the other hand, to contrast, you have people now, when the movement is as popular as it is, when you have the privilege, and I mean if you have the privilege to take action without your family back home being targeted, as is the case for many Palestinian activists, who kudos to the ones that do take action in a public lens and kudos to the ones who are unable to because they have family back home. If you have the privilege to take action without ever once fearing that the people back home will be negatively impacted, then it is incumbent on you to pick up the burden here because there are Palestinians who, like I said to you, have their families targeted. Their families are targeted as in that if they take action, Let's say, for example, they do a speech, as mine was done. And, you know, they call me to the stage, Ahmed Ali Barakat. And I walked to the stage, and I did my my speech. It was raining, but it doesn't matter. That name would be copied. My photo would be taken. And um, this is an example, as though if I were a Palestinian. They would take my photo, they would get my name, be sent straight to the IOF, straight to Mossad. They would send it straight to the Israeli intelligence agency, and go find out who his family is. Within an hour, at most, they would know exactly who that person's family is, where they live, where they are spread, where they are oppressed, where they're in jail, and where they work. And within the day, they will conduct their arrests, if so be it. Or, as is the case with many of them, they will instead wait. That's right, they'll wait for you to come back. They'll make you feel as though nothing will happen. As though, yeah, you've taken all this action and nobody's done anything for your family. But it is when you return that you will find at the airport, they're going to take you right aside. And they will investigate. And they will question and they will interrogate and they will torture and they will imprison. So this is the, the responsibility. This is the responsibility. I had originally intended, actually, to talk to you about techniques for managing the exhaustion but in truth in truth i don't think there's any techniques i don't think there's any possible way in which we can watching this genocide take place find a way to cope with it how how on earth can you find a technique to cope with it it's impossible it is impossible and why is it impossible because we have a strong that's right, we have a strong moral compass inside us, inside us, that tells us this is not right, we have to do something. This is not right, we have to do something. And that, that is the sign that you are a human being. <laughs> Congratulations. If you have something which tells you that this is unjust and we must do whatever it is we can do. And so, there is no technique for managing this exhaustion. Instead, there are techniques to turn this into rage. There are techniques in which to use this rage, this apprehension at why there is a class of people, the bourgeoisie, as I have told you, who are in charge of our politics, who are in charge of our governments, who are content, content with genocide under their name. Why? Because, of course, they profit from it. And so what can we do if we wish to end the genocide. If we wish to end the genocide, can we rely on the people who profit from it? Can we rely on them to take a moral decision to thinner, thinner their wallets, to reduce the size of their wallets, to shrink it right down? No, of course we cannot. In what world can we possibly rely on these people to do so? And again, 
I come back to justice. Can these governments be trusted to decide what is and isn't just? If their idea of justice is suppression, it is the suppression of any and all exhibitions and expressions all actions taken in the name of what we deem to be justice and what we deem to be justice it is the end of the genocide it is the end of the occupation it is not it is not a profitable ceasefire it is not a temporary halt to the killing it is a complete and permanent end a complete and permanent end i would like to just end this by reminding you my friends Again, of what I said to you about, about the privilege of action. You here, where you are, if you are in the West, especially if you are in the West, please get involved with your community actions. You will find that there exists a rich, rich community action-led groups. Uh, sorry, action groups led by community who are targeting these institutions at the present moment. If they don't exist, I'm not saying you should make them, <laughs> but I'm saying they should definitely exist. Find any way in which to take action. Now, for those who do not wish to take action based on justice, which they are terrified or otherwise worried or concerned with retribution from the state, what you can do is education. What you can do is annoying it is perfectly legal to annoy the living hell out of your politicians and your bourgeoisie. You have the right to just occupy their office. You have the right to ring them endlessly. You have the right to write them endlessly. You have the right to ring their phone until they wish that you'd either just piss off or they will find a way to block you or they will attempt to disconnect the phone just because you just call them so much. They're sick of it. They don't want a phone anymore because every time their phone rings, it is you again and again and again. If you don't want to do that, if you don't want to do that, again, I remind you, there is plenty you can do on the front of education, of making sure that those who have so far come to believe that this is a perfectly normal state in which we can exist in, it is not. It is not the normal state of affairs. It cannot be the normal state of affairs. And we must take all the actions we can possibly take to end, to end the genocide, to not give consent in our name for a society which exists solely of the back of the genociding, of the colonizing, of the oppression and the occupation of indigenous people. And with that, my friends, I leave you for today. Please let me know if you enjoyed this episode. This is my first. Hopefully, I've made it to come. If there's something that you've enjoyed or you wish to hear more of, let me know. If you have any feedback, do let me know. This is on Substack at A3 Cat. That is A for Apple, 3 for the number 3, B for Betty, A for Apple, R for Rose, A for Apple, <laughs> K for Kelly, A for Apple, tfatango.com Actually, I think it's... A, sorry. Uh, a3bettercat.substack.com You can just search a3bettercat on Google and it will show up. You should be able to find this episode in particular on the Substack, but you'll also find it on Spotify, Apple Music, and a lot. Thank you, and to next week.